Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Look at the end of that chapter, verses 25 through 34. The text is also there in the bulletin on the next page. Uh, so we're back in <clears throat> Matthew's Gospel after a few weeks off. Um, here we are in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. That's how Matthew describes Jesus' preaching. Uh, I've really been looking forward to going through this particular passage because I know I need to spend some time listening to what Jesus has to say uh, about anxiety. That's what this is about. Uh, This week I read a really great sermon uh, on this passage by an English theologian named John Webster in a book of uh, his sermons. It's called Confronted by Grace, if you want to look that up. Um, It was really helpful to me, so I'll probably draw pretty heavily on it uh, this morning. Uh, One thing that he said... A little quote that is, um, I think, there in the bulletin. Uh, He says, Anxiety is not a private disorder of the personality which some of us have to struggle with, but an entire way of being human in the world. So the way Jesus talks about it, uh, the, the one way of being human, that is the way of life apart from God, will mean anxiety as we feel the need to control our lives, control the world, control uh, our future. While, on the other hand, the way of being human as God intends, uh, living with him in his kingdom, will mean freedom from anxiety about life. So what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God here is uh, incredibly good news for us. So uh, let me pray, then we'll listen to what he has to say. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. So we pray that you'd help us to believe them and to be changed by them in our relationship with you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So before we really get into this, what Jesus is talking about here, let me just give kind of, I guess, a caveat. Uh, There can be physiological causes to anxiety and things like panic attacks, and sometimes people just need to take medications to deal with that stuff. Uh, There should be no shame in that idea that our organic brains might need chemical adjustments, just like a dislocated shoulder uh, might need a doctor's help to heal. Not only should there be no shame in it, 
uh, we have an explanation for things like this. It really shouldn't be surprising to us as Christians. After all, we live in a broken world with, with bodies and brains that are uh, broken, that break down. This is a reality that resulted from our sin, from our choice to live apart from God. Right? So, so when we talk about the gospel helping us and freeing us from anxiety, <clears throat> we are talking about a spiritual reality for our faith. Sometimes a person suffering from an anxiety disorder uh, believes the gospel, but is actually physiologically incapable of processing the good news in a way that makes any difference to their anxiety. Don't let that add to your worries, if that describes you. Uh, No matter how much you talk about Jesus, even with someone who believes the gospel and prays for freedom from anxiety, it just might not touch the problem. The person might just need uh, medication. That's okay. Uh, It's also true, it's also true that it can be really hard to tell which anxiety needs medication and which anxiety can be helped by the gospel. It's also true that even if you suffer from an anxiety disorder and need medication, you also need to hear what Jesus has to say about anxiety. It's also true that the spiritual reality that Jesus addresses for our faith has material physiological effects on our bodies and on our minds. It makes a difference in your physical life. And it's also true that the ultimate answer to our brokenness, the brokenness of our bodies and our minds, is only going to be found in the resurrection, on the day of redemption and restoration at the return of Christ. So Jesus uh, goes after anxiety at its roots, and he will give us permanent freedom from it. Those who love us want us to be free free from anxiety, and this is true most of the Lord who loves us best. So uh, let's let's talk about that. Jesus says... Uh, Do not be anxious several times here. Don't be anxious about the things you need for life. Things like food, drink, and clothing. Particularly, don't be anxious about future needs. So he says, do not be anxious uh, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Do not be anxious about tomorrow, he says in verse 34. So anxiety is a fear about the future. Anxiety is a fear about what we think might happen in the future. Uh, John Webster says that anxiety is that sickness of the soul in which what might happen to us fills us with dread. When we're anxious, our future as a whole, the possibilities which stretch out ahead of us, becomes a matter not of hope, but of terror. So when we're anxious in the way Jesus is talking about here, which I think is familiar to basically everybody, uh, we want the future to go well for us. And we're not certain that we can manage that. We want the future to go well. We're not certain we can manage it. There's too many variables, too many factors, too little control. Uh, We feel that it's up to us to manage things toward good outcomes. We feel that maybe if we work hard enough, maybe tomorrow will be okay. We probably have the nagging suspicion that that's not entirely true, that no matter how hard we work and how well we do things, tomorrow might not be okay. But we really don't know any other way. Right? So we just have this sense, if I don't do it right, I won't get what I need. If I don't do life right, I won't get what I need tomorrow. Uh, we feel this pressure to perform, this pressure to control reality in order to provide life for ourselves in the future, whether that's you know, at literally tomorrow or further off down the road or even in just in the next few moments, what's about to happen. Right? And we feel alone in that project. We feel alone. We're, we feel left to fend for ourselves. Who else is going to do this? If I don't do it right, I'm not going to get what I need. This is why I say that Jesus is talking about a spiritual reality. Because we feel left to fend for ourselves, to get life for ourselves. Anxiety is a matter 
of your relationship with God. Fear about the future has to do with your relationship with God. The truth is that in our sin, we have cut ourselves off from life with God. He didn't abandon us. He didn't leave us to fend for ourselves. We're the ones who rejected him. We walked away from him. We rejected his kingdom. We rejected his rule, his kingship, right? We have chosen to establish alternative kingdoms, our own kingdoms, where we rule over our lives, where now we have to rule over our lives, right? In our kingdoms, we have to fend for ourselves because we cannot believe in God's gracious provision or in the goodness of his kingdom. But we weren't made for that kind of life. We weren't made for the stress of controlling reality or managing the future. We weren't made to live as if life tomorrow depended on our strength, on our cleverness, on our capacity to secure for ourselves everything that we need for life. We've chosen the way of self-sufficiency. We've chosen the way of self-sustaining autonomy. We weren't made for that. So there are stresses. Nagging worries and concerns. Anxiety is such a constant uh, companion that we're usually not even aware of it. I prefer not to think of myself as an anxious person. You might not look at me and say, well, there's an anxious person, right? I hide it well. Anxiety would mean that I can't be self-assured and confident and in control of my world, right? So I wouldn't describe myself as an anxious person, even though it affects my stomach, it affects my blood pressure, it affects my sleep, it gives me tension in my neck and shoulders, gives me headaches. Even though it's so obvious you get heart palpitations from stress, it's so obvious physically that anxiety affects us in ways that shouldn't be happening to our bodies. Right? <clears throat> we were made as spiritual and physical beings to be dependent on God. And that dependence on God is where we're going to find freedom from anxiety. The solution for anxiety is not in becoming more self-sufficient, in trying harder, getting better, at managing your life, managing the future, in stockpiling everything you'll need to live a long, fulfilling life. If I just have a huge bank account, then tomorrow will be guaranteed, right? The wealthy have stockpiles. The wealthy have big barns full of goods, uh, big retirement accounts to provide for plenty of tomorrows. Yet the wealthy are just as anxious as as the poor, as anybody. Because they're just as desperate to manage their own future. Because they're just as convinced that they have to fend for themselves. It doesn't matter if you can fend for yourself in some ways. You were not made for that way of being human. Freedom from anxiety, as Jesus talks about it, only comes from the gospel. So the good news is... You're not on your own. Life is not just a matter of fending for yourself. That's not just wishful thinking to say that. That is reality. Life is not a matter of fending for yourself. Life comes from God. Sorry, life is a a matter of God's provision. His provision first. Jesus insists that his people in his kingdom can depend on God for life because God is a good father who cares for his children you can rest free from the anxiety that arises from this autonomous life. Uh, you just have to give up the autonomous life. You just have to enter his kingdom and receive life with God as the gift that it already is. Life is already a gift from God. You just have to receive it as such. Jesus says uh, in verse 26, <clears throat> Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. The birds of the air, they don't worry about the future. 
They don't provide for their life tomorrow through foresight and planning and work and investment. They don't stress out trying to control reality to manage what might happen next. And yet your heavenly father feeds them, Jesus says. Are you not of more value than they? Your heavenly father. Right? God says you have a special, unique relationship with him. He declares that you are significant to him. You might look at yourself and not see anything significant. You might wonder, why would God love someone like me? Well, you know what? He tells us. He declares that you are significant to him, that you are his treasure, his beloved, his very child. And a child is far more important to a father than other creatures. If your heavenly father is good and kind to sustain the life of creatures, even those as insubstantial as the birds of the air, don't you think he is all the more dependable when it comes to your life? Why would you be anxious when this father has your whole life in his good hands. He's intimately familiar with every detail and every moment of your life. <clears throat> He's numbered your days. And stressing out about that won't change that number. Anxiety won't change the reality of his fatherly love. Anxiety won't change his provision for you every single day of your life. Not in the slightest measure. So give it up. The way of autonomy and anxiety is a bad way. It's miserable. You toil frantically because you believe it'll secure your existence, but you exist because of the Father's love. You already exist because of the Father's love. Why choose the way of frantic toil when you could just simply rest in the care of a Father who not only has provided for your life, but who even clothes you with beauty and with glory? So verse 28, <clears throat> Jesus continues, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So when Jesus talks about clothing here, uh, he doesn't just talk about um, things the body needs to survive the elements. Go outside with no clothing on and it's cold, you're going to die, right? He's not just talking about that. In fact, from the beginning of the Bible, clothing uh, has been mainly about beauty. Clothing has been mainly, especially about the beauty of righteousness. The beauty of righteousness. So God <clears throat> clothes the grass with beautiful little flowers. Grass. Talk about unimportant, insubstantial, fleeting stuff. Grass. But a, a single, simple flower on the grass is more beautiful, it's more wonderful, more glorious than the finery that the wealthiest king who ever lived uh, had enjoyed, right? That, that little flower didn't have to work to achieve that beauty. God made it beautiful when he created it. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, even though you're of little faith, Jesus is always talking to his people, you of little faith, you might almost take it as a term of endearment. He's not condemning you for having little faith. Even though you are of little faith, the Father's love is not little. His love is lavish, it's generous, it's super abundant toward his children. He not only sustains your life, he glorifies you. He gives us not only what is necessary, like food and drink, but also what's gratuitous and superfluous, the beauty of righteousness even. Therefore, do not be anxious, right? So Jesus is preaching the, the good news of the kingdom. You should not hear him when he says, do not be anxious. 
as if he were sternly scolding you or if he were exasperated. Shame on you for being anxious. Stop it already. Knock it off, right? Uh, <clears throat> nor is he calling you to some superhuman achievement, something that is really impossible for people to do. Stop being anxious, right? Uh, to figure out some way to do the stressful human life just without anxiety. He's offering you an alternative. He's offering you rest and relief and freedom from anxiety. He wants what's best for you because he loves you and therefore, <clears throat> he would not see you stricken with anxiety. He's calling you away from the stressful human life, from that way of being human. And he's calling you to the utterly new way of being human in his kingdom. It says in verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, says that anxiety is characteristic of the Gentiles. It's just a way of talking about unbelievers, Right? Uh, the Gentiles. Anxiety is characteristic of them, for they rely on their own strength and work instead of relying on God. They do not know that the Father knows that we have need of all these things. And so they try to do for themselves what they do not expect from God. <clears throat> so the Gentiles, the people in the world who live apart from God, live apart from Jesus, cannot believe that God has already given them life as a gift. They believe they're on their own. They believe that they have to seek for what they don't yet have. Maybe they'll get it tomorrow. In their lonely scramble for the future, for life tomorrow, they're blinded to the provision of life today. They, they can't rest and thank God for what he means to them in this moment. But in Christ, we trust that we already have a Heavenly Father. That we're not alone. We don't have to fend for ourselves. Our Heavenly Father is paying close attention to us. He knows all our needs. He knows exactly what we truly need. Better than we do, actually, He knows what we need. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus says. He's not saying, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> stop being anxious about these earthly things. And start being anxious about heavenly things. Start working really hard. Uh, to provide yourself in heavenly terms, right? Uh, he's saying that, that life in the kingdom of God is the alternative. It's the absolute alternative to the autonomous, anxious way of life that we've chosen apart from him. There is no anxiety in the kingdom of God. Because that realm is defined by the gift of life that God has already given. The Father has already supplied us with everything we need to live with him forever because he's given his Son for us to be our true food and drink. And he's clothed us in his own righteousness as a gift of his grace because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Our life is Jesus and God has already given it. The one who seeks God's kingdom seeks just rest, seeks relief in God's care, in his fatherly care. The one who lives in God's kingdom receives this and every moment as a gift of God's grace. The one who lives in God's kingdom has good hope for a future life with God that will always come by that same grace. The one who lives in God's kingdom thanks God for today without fretting about tomorrow. <clears throat> You're not called to predict the future. You're not called to manipulate the future for yourself. You're called to respond faithfully to the king who has already come, to the king who's promised to return to the king who has secured eternal life for you. <clears throat> you already exist because of God's love. 
God has created you. God sustains you. God already gives you life and breath and every good thing. You live from him and you live through him and you live to him right now, which means your life with him will continue forever because that is what you were made for. And that is what Jesus has redeemed you for. With God, today is a proof of tomorrow. Today is a guarantee of tomorrow. His fatherly love in the present means his fatherly love in the future. If you're a child of God today, you will be a child of God tomorrow. There's no need to be anxious about that, about your life with God. You are and always will be a dependent of the eternally dependable one. So it's, not, it's not bad to be dependent on God. It's kind of, you know, being a dependent sort of has bad connotations in our culture. But it's not bad to be dependent on God. It's what you're made for, and it's freeing. And Jesus Christ is himself the living proof that it is good to be a dependent on God. That it is good to rest in the Father's care. The Father loved you by sending his own beloved Son into the world for you. It says in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right, so he's already given us, already given us the most precious gift of all. How can we believe that he'll become miserly tomorrow? How can we believe that he'll be closed-fisted going forward? How can we believe that he'd withhold what you need in the next few moments? Because of Jesus, you can put all thoughts like that out of your head forever. In his own life, Jesus shows us that it is good for a human to be dependent on God. Jesus, as as a human being, uh, entrusted himself entirely to his Father's care. He never chose that autonomous, anxious life apart from God. In our place, he was fully dependent on the Father for his life. He received every moment as a gift. He was vulnerable in his love, yes, and uh, he experienced troubles, to be sure, and he promises our fair share of them, too. He says sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But he wasn't anxious about his future life with God because he knew his father's love for him. He knew his father's attentive care and his provision. And that was the only thing he truly needed, his father's love. Even when he faced the cross in our place, he entrusted his life and his future to God. He remained dependent on the father for resurrection and for eternal life. And the father showed himself to be dependable. And the promise of God for those who relate to the Father through faith in Jesus is that you can depend on God for your life, for your future, in the same way Jesus does. In the same way Jesus has. Jesus is the ever-living proof that it is good to rest in the Father's care. So John Webster again says, "What, What is the anxiety from which Jesus seeks to detach us? Very simply, it's our failure to grasp and live out of the significance of Jesus Christ. Anxiety is our failure, sometimes from fear, sometimes from pride, to allow that in and as the man Jesus, God rules all things in heaven and earth, and therefore that our lives are in God's good hands. So the reality of the kingdom of God, the fact that Jesus is the king, means that we're in God's good hands now and forever. That's what it means. That's the significance of Jesus. Jesus means freedom from anxiety. That's true whether, you know, your circumstance, whatever your circumstances are, 
<clears throat> whatever food you've got in your cupboards or don't have in your cupboards, whatever money you've got in your bank account or don't have in your bank account. Jesus means freedom from anxiety. Whether you've got the low-level background hum of garden variety anxiety or you suffer debilitating panic attacks associated with clinical anxiety, Jesus means freedom from anxiety. And that's true whether you live in that truth constantly and enjoy that sort of almost carefree life with God through faith in Jesus, or whether you have little faith and you struggle to live in that truth at all, or you have to wait until the day of redemption to really know it at all. It's true. The reality of Jesus means freedom from anxiety. Uh, Last time I'll quote John Webster. I'm almost almost done here. He says, Our present experience of life may be very dark, undoubtedly. We may face fearful prospects, but even at its most burdensome, our lives now are not perilously poised over some great chasm into which we may fall at any time. No, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And our future isn't some dark possibility lying over the horizon waiting to devour us. No, it's the place where we will encounter the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So today we're already fed true food and drink in Jesus. Today we're already clothed gloriously in Christ. So do not be anxious about tomorrow, about what you'll need for life with God, because above all, you need Jesus, and you have him. You already have him. That's the truth of the gospel for every day that is called today. So steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's good news. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. I'm going to close with some of the verses from Psalm 145 and closing prayer here. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I'll meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. You are faithful in all your words and kind in all your works. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. My mouth will speak your praise, O Lord, and let all flesh bless your holy name forever. And ever. Amen.